All right, now th this is something we could talk about for, uh, for a long, long time. It's complicated, so I, I have to uh, simplify it a bit, and there are objections that we could make and uh, talk about at great length, uh, but I'm just gonna give four reasons uh, why I think that it's um, a, a fictional account, um, but that, yes, a Abraham is a real person, but the events themselves didn't take place but that Jesus is uh, just conveying them to the Pharisees to, to make a point. And so I'll just give uh, four uh, primary reasons of why uh, I think it's a, a fictional account. And so the, the first, the, the first is the, uh, the introductory uh, expression that's used, uh, a certain man. Uh, and that introductory expression, uh, as uh, Robert Stein, uh, he was an old uh, professor of uh, Pastor Bob's, uh, he points out that that expression is used seven times in Luke's gospel. In uh, six of the seven times, uh, it's, it's a parable, uh, including the rich man, Lazarus, uh, because he, he believes that that's a parable. Um, and so if, if it is a parable, then uh, six other times it always refers to a parable. And the, the one uh, exception um, actually occurs uh, in another narrative when Jesus isn't speaking. The six times when Jesus uses it, uh, it's, or at least the five other times, it's always a parable. Uh, and so that, I don't think, um, I don't think that's a, a home run uh, but it's a little evidence that, that maybe points us in the right direction. Uh, but then taken together with the, the three other reasons, I think it makes a, a strong case why we should take it as, uh, as a fictional uh, narrative. And so the, the first is the introductory expression, a certain man. Uh, and the second uh, is... Uh, when the, the rich man and Lazarus are introduced, uh, they're not distinguished uh, from other Lazaruses and other rich men uh, in their, their introduction uh, by referring or identifying them with uh, real people, places, or events. Uh, typically, when you introduce a, a historical person, you immediately have to distinguish them uh, fr from the others. Uh, so like uh, there are many um, there are many Johns, there are many uh, Mikes in the world, uh, there are many uh, Nathaniels, uh, and so you have to distinguish them from all the others. Uh, once at Twin City Fellowship, I walked up on stage uh, and there were three Steves on stage. And so I'd say, well, th this is Steve, the, the father of Sarah and Reba. This is, this is Steve Barb's husband, uh, or Steve Gretsch. I have to distinguish them from other Steves. Uh, but when you introduce a fictional character, you don't necessarily have to do that because th the point is just that, that short story. Um, and so just take the, the rich man, for example. He's introduced as now a certain man was rich. Okay, that, that doesn't distinguish him from, uh, from other uh, rich men. It's, it's a really vague description. He, he doesn't even have a name, let alone he, his name isn't distinguished from other people with his name. Uh, and really, uh, in Jesus' story, uh, you could fit the, the Pharisees right into the rich man's shoes uh, because Jesus is criticizing them because of their, their love of wealth. Uh, and so he, he basically uh, puts out a character uh, that the Pharisees would see very clearly. Oh, he's talking about us. Uh, but now compare him, compare that. Uh, now a certain man was rich. Compared to another rich man, Joseph of Arimathea. And li listen to this introduction. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, uh, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. And so just right in, in there, uh, immediately, he has to set him apart from other Josephs. Uh, th this one was from a, a, a real town, a Jewish town of Arimathea. Uh, and it, 
um, it's a town that we know from other writings like uh, Josia, Josephus probably in Maccabees. Um, he was a member of the council. Uh, well, that's the Jewish uh, Sanhedrin, which was a, a religious political body where they'd uh, vote and uh, rule uh, and make, make decisions. Uh, and he's also associated with real events. He didn't agree with what they did to Jesus when they crucified him. Uh, and then it go, after introducing him, it goes into this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Uh, and then if we look at uh, Lazarus, uh, the, the poor man, uh, he's introduced this way. And a certain man, and a certain poor man whose name was Lazarus had been laying at the rich man's gate. Well, he's a step up where he gets a name, whereas the rich man doesn't, uh, but he doesn't do anything to distinguish him from, from other Lazaruses. But compare him to Lazarus of Bethany uh, from uh, John chapter 11. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, uh, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Uh, and so right, right away, uh, he, uh, the apostle John, when he introduces Lazarus, he has to set him apart and say, this is Lazarus of Bethany. Then he starts talking about his, his sisters and saying what village this was. Uh, and so he, he uses all these ways to distinguish which one. Uh, th this is much more typical with uh, historical, uh, historical figures. Uh, and then uh, a third reason uh, is that uh, the, the story of the rich man and Lazarus is filled with uh, what we call uh, irony and hyperbole. And irony is just uh, it's when author says something that's uh, really unexpected uh, and hyperbole is uh, over the top uh, exaggeration. Uh, oftentimes it's very unrealistic. Uh, and Jesus in his parables uh, really loads them up with lots of irony, lots of over-the-top exaggeration. And just an example, uh, the, the rich man's torment uh, at one point is so uh, great, it is so immense uh, that he asks Abraham, send Lazarus to dip his finger, the tip of his finger in water and to touch it to my tongue, uh, to, uh, to touch it, to cool me down. And it's like, is that really cooling? Uh, you know, in, in the real world, that wouldn't be cooling. Uh, but in, in a story, uh, Jesus uses a lot of over-the-top uh, exaggeration. That, that wouldn't be cooling to anyone except someone who's as hot as the, the rich man uh, in the flames. Uh, and then also uh, Lazarus uh, is, is so hungry that he desires to be filled by, by what was falling from the rich man's table. And uh, we'll talk about this a bit later, but uh, it would be the most insubstantial, undesirable food and probably not much more than crumbs. But he's so hungry that to Lazarus, that looks like a, a feast. Uh, and he'd, he'd settle for that. Uh, and so the, the over-the-top exaggeration, the, uh, the, the irony, uh, same things, they're very unexpected. Uh, and then finally, uh, Jesus' uh, story uh, really seems crafted uh, just for the Pharisees, uh, where uh, he introduces an unnamed character, the rich man, uh, and then the content of, uh, of uh, the rich man and Abraham's uh, discussion is, uh, it's almost entirely directed, it could be directed just straight, uh, straight at the Pharisees. And so every detail really seems crafted for, for his audience. And so those would be the four reasons uh, that I think, um, although th this is probably the hardest uh, parable uh, or narrative to decide whether it's fictional or not, uh, for those four reasons, uh, I think it's fictional. Uh, and then the, the implications of that uh, are if it's fictional, then uh, we, well, we, we want to do the same, even if it's historical, where we want to pay attention to Jesus uh, main points, uh, but if it's fictional, we have to maybe even take a little bit uh, extra care, uh, and we can't ask questions like um, historical questions like, well, what was the rich man's childhood like? 
Well, he didn't have one. Jesus didn't make up a childhood for the rich man. Uh, and so the, those things are, are off limits. But if it's historical, uh, I, I assume that Reba had a, a childhood. You, you were a toddler at some point. And, uh, and then fi finally, I would say that um, overall, if you're still undecided, I'd still have the same overall interpretation uh, of the rich man and Lazarus uh, because I think Jesus makes his points uh, very clear to the, the Pharisees. And so now I'd like to set the, the context so we can uh, dive right into the text. Uh, and during this uh, parable, uh, Jesus is uh, on what's called uh, his travel narrative, uh, beginning in uh, Luke chapter 10, uh, in which uh, after his disciples confess that he is the anointed king, he is the Messiah, he then sets his face to go to Jerusalem to uh, accomplish what the Father had planned for him, uh, to be crucified, uh, to pay for the sins of those who trust in him, uh, to be buried, to be raised, uh, and then uh, to uh, ascend to the, the Father. And in that time, uh, he instructs his disciples and the crowds, uh, and he also encounters the Pharisees and the religious leaders uh, many times, uh, and ultimately, uh, they, they become so angry at him that they plot uh, and execute his death. Uh, and th then, uh, right, right before encountering the, the Pharisees in Luke 16, 14, he, he tells the parable of the uh, unrighteous manager. Let me just flip in my Bible. In that parable, he, he really wants his disciples uh, to recognize they can't serve both God uh, and wealth, uh, the, the provisions that God gives, uh, that they should serve God by being devoted to him uh, and loving him and serving God uh, with what he has given them, uh, rather than uh, devoting themselves to what God has given them, the, the wealth, uh, they should uh, devo devote themselves to God and serve God with uh, the provisions he gives them, uh, whether great or small. And it's really this thing that the, the Pharisees overhearing uh, that just sets them, them off. Uh, it makes them uh, mad at Jesus. Uh, and uh, it says, now the Pharisees who were lovers of money were listening to all these things and they were sneering at him. Uh, by the way, I'm, uh, let me just read. I'll read from the, the ESV, this section, uh, but then I, I have my own translation in my notes. The, the Pharisees, uh, starting in verse 14, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. Uh, and he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. And so you, as you see, uh, the Pharisees are described uh, as those who were lovers of money. Uh, we already know who the Pharisees are, and so it doesn't distinguish them from other Pharisees, but it characterizes them uh, as those who love money. Uh, instead of serving God and being devoted to God, as Jesus taught, uh, they uh, exalt money as their God, uh, and th they are devoted uh, to that wealth. And so we know that they're not uh, innocent in their reaction to Jesus uh, when they uh, sneer at him. Uh, and the, this word for uh, 
sneering. Uh, some translations have a little bit different, but really it was a gesture with the, the nose uh, to show that one was uh, scoffing at them and disdaining them. Uh, and the theological lexicon of the New Testament describes it uh, this way. Uh, derived from the Greek word for nostril, uh, these verbs mean uh, turn up or wrinkle the nose uh, as a sign of mockery or scorn. Mockery and derision are expressed by words or deeds, by tricks of facial expression, laughing and making faces, ridiculing someone, letting him know how little one thinks of him, thus reducing him to a sort of psychological, moral, or social nothing. Uh, and so, uh, truly, the, the Pharisees didn't really have high regard uh, for the, the Messiah, the, the king. Uh, and even beyond that, it's not that they just disregarded him, but they, in that they disregarded uh, God. They showed that they didn't love God, uh, and they had no love for God's law. And this is what ignites Jesus' rebuke against the Pharisees, uh, that uh, through the rest of the passage and going into the parable, uh, Jesus is going to um, he's going to try to drive them to repentance and warn them that uh, unless they will heed and listen uh, to the scriptures, then they will be cut off from the blessings promised to Abraham. They'll be cut off from the blessings to the Messiah and they will suffer endless torment. And so here he opens by saying, and he said to them, you are the ones justifying yourselves before men. Uh, and to, to justify, uh, they were basically uh, trying to show to men uh, that they are righteous. Uh, when it comes to their uh, idolatrous love of wealth, uh, exalting it even over service to God, uh, presenting themselves to men uh, as righteous and uh, maybe even that they were blessed by God uh, by their their wealth. Uh, and th this is something that, uh, that you, you might be able to pull off with fellow sinners. You might be able to pull it off uh, before men, but it does not work uh, with God, uh, as Jesus says. Uh, but God knows your hearts because that which is exalted among men is an abomination before God. Uh, and so when he says God knows your hearts, he's not just saying, well, God, he just knows everything and he knows your hearts. He knows uh, the good stuff and the bad stuff. But what is it that God knows about the hearts, the, the Pharisees' hearts? Well, he knows what the men don't recognize, uh, that they are not righteous, but they are unrighteous, that they uh, idolatrously love wealth. Uh, and the, the reason that God sees their hearts in this way is because that which is exalted among men is an abomination before God. And so the, the very things that men exalt, uh, wealth and attributing it is a, a blessing, a great blessing from God. And uh, in some cases it, it might be Job, uh, was a, a wealthy man for much of his life, but uh, he didn't serve the wealth. Uh, he served God with his wealth. Uh, and the, the word uh, abomination, uh, th this is from a lexicon called bideg for short, uh, generally something that causes revulsion or extreme disgust, a loathsome, detestable thing. In our literature, in reference to what is detested by God, something disgusting that arouses wrath. Uh, and so that, that's what God thinks uh, about what men uh, exalt uh, as something that is uh, righteous. Uh, and from here, Jesus turns from God to the word of God, uh, and he's going to bring the scriptures to bear on the Pharisees to show that God... Uh, God sees through their self-righteousness uh, and sees what they really are, uh, lovers of wealth. And so in verse 16, uh, the law and the prophets were until John. From then, the kingdom of God is being proclaimed uh, and all are being urged into it. 
uh, in this last statement, all are being urged into it. It's one of the hardest uh, passages in the New Testament, and so we're not really going to get into that here. Uh, we, we don't have time, but uh, either it has to do with the gospel being proclaimed to people uh, and being urged uh, to uh, believe in the gospel and repent. Uh, otherwise, uh, it's, uh, it's people's response to the gospel and probably, uh, as uh, uh, the New Bible Commentary says, uh, in that case, it would be probably the common people like uh, prostitutes and tax collectors uh, who are responding to, to the gospel. Uh, but he says the, the law and the prophets were until John. Uh, in the law and the prophets, it's just, uh, it was the Jewish shorthand way of referring to uh, what we call the Old Testament scriptures today. Uh, but back then, of course, they, they didn't have the New Testament yet. Um, and so they, they called the the Tanakh, uh, but it's just, it was their scriptures of the day. Uh, and uh, during that, that time, up until John, uh, John the Baptist, uh, the, the Old Testament scriptures, uh, five books of Moses and all the prophets, basically they would point uh, the Israelites back to the Mosaic Covenant and call them to repent, uh, to keep the law. And if they kept the law, uh, they would have blessing in the land. Uh, and if they rejected it, they would be cursed by God and cast out of the land. Uh, but uh, they also understood that they could not keep the law. They failed at it time and time again. And so they also pointed forward to the coming uh, anointed king uh, and his kingdom. They, they pointed to the Messiah who would bring salvation uh, to the nation. But then when John came on the scene, there was a change because now uh, the king was coming and John the Baptist was preparing everyone for the king. Because when the king comes, King Jesus uh, and the kingdom, uh, there is both judgment for the king's enemies uh, and there is salvation for those uh, who turn from their sins and trust and uh, wait for the king. Uh, and so uh, Jesus here wants the Pharisees to understand, although this change has come and I'm on the scene and the, the kingdom of God is being proclaimed and you ought to repent uh, and, and believe in it, uh, don't think that the, the Old Testament scriptures uh, are done away with. Uh, the law and the prophets aren't done away with, uh, and I came to fulfill them, uh, but if you don't trust in me, then uh, they still hold, you are still culpable for the law and for breaking it, uh, and you will be judged accordingly. And so he, he, he says, but it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than one stroke of the law to fall. Uh, and so you, you think of the entire created order, uh, the, the heavens and the, the earth, uh, all that God created from the beginning, uh, about the single hardest thing you can think of to pass away. Uh, and he even promised with Noah that the seasons would uh, continue until the, the end of the earth. Uh, and yet, even though that is the hardest thing to pass away, everything, all of existence, uh, it's harder for one stroke of the law to fall. And you, you think of just one stroke of a letter, like it'd be like the, the letter K, just one little line in it uh, of the law uh, to pass away. Uh, and so the, the law is permanent in binding and authoritative uh, on the Pharisees, uh, and they cannot uh, take it for granted. Uh, and they ought to turn from their, their love of wealth in uh, rebellion against God's law. And here, here's an example. He's going to bring a law to bear on them. Uh, the issue isn't just a matter of loving wealth, but it's breaking God's holy commandments. He says uh, in verse 18, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and the one marrying a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Uh, and here, uh, you also see it in Matthew 19 uh, that they had a big problem uh, in Judaism with adultery. 
uh, where they abused uh, the law uh, in the loophole that Moses left open uh, to really divorce their wives uh, willy-nilly. In fact, they even come to Jesus in Matthew 19 and ask, is it lawful uh, to divorce our wives for any reason? And, and just uh, think of that uh, if uh, your father uh, just decided to send your mother away, uh, the, the mother of his children, just send her away, get a new one. Uh, th that was the sort of thing that was going on. Uh, and Jesus is bringing the law to bear and showing that the Pharisees need to stop scoffing at God's law. And this is what leads up now to the parable. Uh, God has, uh, or Jesus, who is God, uh, has told the Pharisees that God sees, uh, sees right through their self-righteousness before men. Uh, and now he's going to show from the parable that um, if they do not heed Moses and the prophets, if they do not listen to the scriptures, then uh, they, um, if, if they do not listen uh, to, to the scriptures, then they will face the consequences uh, of their sin. They will be separated from the, the blessings promised to Abraham uh, and to his offspring, uh, and they will face eternal judgment. And uh, beginning, uh, he will uh, first show uh, the the rich man uh, and the, the poor man uh, in their lives uh, and uh, characterize the, the circumstances of their lives. And then he will turn to characterize uh, the, the reversal in their deaths, uh, where they, they basically swap, swap places from uh, blessing to cursing. And so he introduces the rich man uh, as follows. In verse 19, now a certain man was rich, and he would dress in purple and in fine linen, celebrating every day lavishly. Uh, and so uh, just the first statement, a certain man was rich, uh, we'll quickly find uh, this is a major, major understatement. Uh, he, he's uh, really playing a, a little coy here. Uh, it says he, he would dress in purple in fine linen. Uh, this is really a kingly royal attire that he would wear uh, every day. Uh, in fact, in uh, Mark 15, uh, which Eric will be coming to, uh, the soldiers uh, dress Christ in purple, uh, and they call they call uh, Christ King of the Jews. Uh, and they're, they're mocking him because now he's in purple. Oh, look at that, that king uh, dressed in purple. Uh, purple was uh, extremely costly and time-consuming. Purple dye uh, to, to make. Uh, and in Revelation, which Eric will be getting there eventually too, uh, in uh, Revelation 18, uh, the merchant's cargoes uh, included purple and fine linen uh, and even Babylon uh, the, the, the richest city herself uh, is characterized as being dressed in purple and fine linen. Uh, and just listen to this from Revelation 18. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. Uh, and so he, he was dressed in uh, kingly royal attire. And not only uh, was he dressed in it, but he would dress. Uh, th this was his, his habit. This was habitual. Th this was a regular daily uh, occurrence, uh, and not only that, but in his royal attire, uh, it was accompanied by uh, by uh, how he lived his life, uh, celebrating every day lavishly. And now 
uh, some, some translations uh, have feasting, uh, which isn't, it's not wrong, uh, but the, the Greek word has more to do uh, with, um, with uh, rejoicing, uh, as uh, one uh, translator puts it, uh, making merry. Uh, and so there, there's real uh, joy uh, in this. And he was uh, celebrating every day lavishly. Uh, and for this word, uh, lavishly, lampros, um, here's a definition from the uh, theological lexicon of the New Testament. Uh, lampros, uh, lav- or let me start a little earlier. Uh, the, the adverb lampros refers to magnificence. Uh, quote, he was a rich man and he dressed in purple and in fine linen, feasting extravagantly every day. Uh, Lampros refers not only to the quantity and quality of the dishes, but also the setup and atmosphere of the feast, the dishes, the service, the music, uh, etc. And so clearly, uh, the the rich man uh, had uh, just magnificent riches. Uh, And this is someone, uh, a nameless, faceless man, characterized only by his riches. Uh, In Jesus' audience, the Pharisees uh, would see that, oh, He's talking about us. Uh, his, his whole rebuke started because of their love of wealth. And so from, from and if, if the Pharisees continue uh, in their, their love of wealth, uh, it, it might look pretty good uh, in this life, but we'll see that it's going to bring problems in the next life. And now Jesus uh, introduces uh, Lazarus uh, in verse 20. Now a certain poor man uh, whose name was Lazarus had been placed uh, at his, the rich man's gate, covered with sores and desiring to be filled from what was falling from the rich man's table. But even the dogs were licking his sores. And so we see, uh, whereas the the rich man uh, is rich, uh, Lazarus is poor. Uh, Whereas the rich man habitually wears purple and fine linen, Lazarus is covered in sores. Whereas the rich man celebrates lavishly uh, every day, Lazarus longs to be filled by what falls from his table. uh, And instead, he's he's licked by filthy, hungry dogs. And so, uh, first off, uh, Lazarus has a name, unlike the rich man. Uh, and this may be, I mean, first and foremost, with the, the rich man, uh, Jesus is uh, connecting the Pharisees closely with them. Uh, and also, this might uh, personalize the rich man, he's, or the, the poor man, uh, Lazarus. He's not characterized only by his poverty, uh, but he's, he's also given a name. Uh, and he's also, we see he's placed uh, at the rich man's uh, gate. Uh, and so it's very clear with his riches that he could have uh, helped Lazarus. Uh, he could have given him a little something from the, uh, the table. Uh, but we'll see that the rich man uh, has no compassion or mercy. Uh, but until he ends up in Hades in torment, then he looks for compassion and mercy from Lazarus. Uh, and also we, we see the circumstances of Lazarus uh, as he was outside the gate, uh, that he was uh, covered with sores. Uh, and the, the noun form for this word shows up uh, in the Old Testament. For example, in Exodus 9, uh, as a, a plague of boils uh, that uh, Yahweh uh, casts on the Egyptians. Uh, in Leviticus 13, uh, it's a skin condition that would make them uh, ceremonially unclean uh, and outcasts from society. Uh, In Deuteronomy 28, it's a curse of breaking uh, the Mosaic Covenant. Uh, If the Israelites did not keep God's law, he would uh, curse them with with sores. And so uh, at the very least, uh, Lazarus is uh, ceremonially uh, unclean. And so he's in misery like much like Job, uh, and he's ceremonially unclean and outcast. Uh, and 
he might have even been looked at as someone who was cursed. Uh, whereas the, the rich man, the Pharisees, uh, appear blessed with their riches, uh, Lazarus uh, might even appear uh, cursed by God. Uh, and then uh, not only was he covered with sores outside the gate, but he was desiring to be filled by what was falling from the rich man's table. Um, and desiring to be filled earlier, I touched on this earlier, uh, that uh, some translations have to eat or to be fed, but really uh, th this verb has more to do with uh, eating to contentment, uh, to satisfaction, uh, to being filled. Uh, and what was he uh, desiring to be filled with? Well, what was falling off the, the table? Uh, and uh, there uh, is probably not where uh, all the, the platters of uh, gourmet fattened beef were and the uh, flagons of well-aged wine and uh, cheeses and hot breads. And, uh, but uh, really, it would be uh, fair for, for a dog and probably not much more than crumbs, uh, if you remember the, the Syro-Phoenician uh, woman uh, that Eric was preaching about who said uh, uh, even the, the dogs eat from the, the crumbs of their master's table. Uh, and so this really emphasizes desiring to be filled by what nobody would find uh, desirable or uh, filling. Uh, th this is the most uh, insignificant scraps. Uh, and so it shows uh, Lazarus's wretched, wretched state. Uh, and not only did he not uh, get his desires, which the rich man could have uh, provided, but even the dogs were licking his sores. Uh, and in Israel, dogs were unclean animals, uh, and really they were uh, scavengers, mangy animals that you would want absolutely nothing to do with. Uh, and so Lazarus desires uh, what's on the, the rich man's floor, uh, and the, the dogs apparently desire what's outside the rich man's gate. Uh, poor Lazarus. And so from, from here, uh, now we've, we've seen the, the, the great uh, wealth uh, and uh, just the, the, the comfort uh, that the rich man had and uh, uh, the misery of Lazarus. Uh, and uh, from here, he will now turn to what happens to them in their deaths, which will set up the, the dialogue between uh, Abraham and the, the rich man, which is the, the very heart of the parable. Uh, and if the and now we, we, well, the Pharisees will also see uh, that uh, it might look pretty good to, to be in the rich man's shoes uh, and to, to be with the wealthy, but uh, not in the next life. Now, verse 22, now it happened that the, the poor man died uh, and that he was taken by angels to the bosom uh, of Abraham. Uh, in the, the bosom of Abraham uh, really has to do with uh, being at the, the side uh, of Abraham, the side of someone. Uh, and so uh, at a meal, uh, they would uh, recline uh, in those days, uh, and they might recline uh, at the side of someone. Uh, if you're maybe the, the guest of honor uh, next to the, the host. Uh, and for example, the apostle John, the beloved disciple, in uh, John uh, chapter 13, verse 23, uh, it says, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table uh, at Jesus' side, literally in the bosom uh, of Jesus. Uh, and so uh, here is the, the rich man uh, taken by the angels to Abraham's side, who's the, uh, the, the forefather uh, and the, the father of all the Jewish people. He is the one uh, that all the promises of blessings were to. Um, and so to, to be uh, reclined next to his side uh, for a Jewish person, uh, that, that's really the, the, the highest honor uh, that you could have. And so to, to put it in uh, uh, airline terms, uh, maybe Eric will like this. I always hear, uh, I always hear you using uh, uh, airline analogies, but uh, Lazarus has a first class uh, VIP trip uh, straight to the place of honor for for any uh, Jewish person. Uh, but uh, in contrast to this, it's, it's striking uh, just how uh, 
simple Jesus statement is about the, the rich man uh, in the, uh, the very uh, next part of the verse. Now, the rich man also died and was buried. No, no honor. Uh, the, the angels didn't take him to, uh, to Abraham's side, uh, didn't bring him to the, uh, the place of blessing. Uh, and really, this, this whole uh, reversal that we see uh, between the, uh, the, the, the blessing uh, and the, the joy and the riches uh, that the, the rich man had in his life uh, compared to, to what he'll have in his death, uh, in the misery and sorrow that Lazarus had uh, in his life, uh, but then the, the blessing uh, in his death. It's very much like the, uh, the Beatitudes in Luke, Luke 6, uh, or the, the blessings uh, and the woes, uh, where we see that the, the recipients of Messianic blessings are, like Lazarus, uh, characterized as the poor, hungry, uh, and the weeping uh, in this life. Uh, but uh, wh why are they blessed? For theirs is the kingdom of God. They shall be satisfied and they shall laugh. Uh, but then the, the recipients of the woes, like the rich man, are characterized as the rich, well-fed, and laughing in this life. Why? For they are receiving their comfort in full. They shall be hungry and they shall mourn and weep. And so the, the Pharisees, uh, Jesus is warning uh, them that uh, although they might enjoy uh, the blessings of wealth uh, in this life, if they continue uh, to pursue that course and that idolatry, uh, then uh, they're, they're receiving their comfort in full now. Uh, but uh, they shall be hungry and they shall mourn and weep. And so now, uh, now Jesus is going to uh, update the, the setting uh, and then turn uh, to uh, the, the dialogue between the, the rich man and Lazarus uh, now that he's uh, set the context. And so in verse 23 it says, And in Hades, having lifted up his eyes while in torment, he saw Abraham from afar and Lazarus in his bosom. And so the, there's been a change in location uh, from the, the land of uh, the living uh, to Hades. Uh, and Hades generally uh, is the, uh, the place where the dead go, the, the abode, the dwelling place of the dead. Um, and here we know that the rich man uh, certainly is in Hades uh, and that he's in torment. Uh, the one thing that if you study this passage very closely, and we don't have time to get into it, that's not totally clear uh, is we know that the rich man is there, but uh, are Lazarus uh, and Abraham there just separated uh, by, by a distance uh, in a different area, or are they outside? And it's not, it's not totally clear, but we, we know that the, the rich man is there, uh, and their locations are primarily uh, distinguished by uh, Lazarus is in the, the bosom of Abraham at his side. Uh, the rich man is in torment in this flame and this place of torment. Uh, and so here, uh, spotting Abraham and Lazarus uh, and being uh, in this, these circumstances of torment, uh, this is what sets up uh, the dialogue. And in the, the dialogue, uh, there will be uh, two exchanges uh, between uh, the rich man and Lazarus, uh, and each of them is prompted by a request from the rich man to Abraham. Uh, and the, the first request is for Abraham uh, to have Lazarus ease his torment, uh, and the second request uh, is to warn his brothers uh, about this uh, place of torment. And so in the first exchange, uh, he will uh, request uh, to have his torment eased. Uh, and this section primarily concerns uh, the fixed nature 
uh, of the rich man's fate. Verse 24, And he called and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he would dip the tip of his finger in water and would cool my tongue because I am in torment in these flames. Uh, and so first off, he calls him Father Abraham. Uh, Abraham was the, the forefather of the Jewish people to whom the, the promises of blessings were uh, to him uh, and to his, his offspring after him. Uh, but there's, there's a real problem uh, because uh, Abraham, uh, a or the rich man, a descendant of Abraham, uh, he's not with Abraham. He's not, he's not in the place uh, of, of blessing, uh, but he's in torment. Uh, and also notice that uh, here um, he wants uh, Abraham to uh, order Lazarus around uh, to have compassion and mercy on him, but he had no compassion and mercy uh, on Lazarus, although he had all the means in the world uh, to help him. He was right outside of his gate, and he was uh, feasting and celebrating every, uh, every day, uh, sumptuously, lavishly, uh, extravagantly. And he, he treats Lazarus as just a, a lowly uh, servant. Uh, and uh, now we'll see that Abraham uh, implicitly uh, denies the rich man's uh, request and uh, gives the, the reason why. Then Abraham said, Child, remember that you received your good things in your life, and Lazarus likewise received bad things. Now he is being comforted here, and as for you, you are being tormented. Uh, and so uh, we, we see that uh, the, the reason that, uh, that Abraham is denying the request is because uh, the rich man has already received his good things. He enjoyed his good things in this life. Uh, that's what he pursued. He pursued wealth. He devoted himself uh, to wealth instead of serving God, instead of uh, storing his treasure up in heaven. Uh, he, he sought the, the here and the now. Uh, and that's very much uh, what the, the Pharisees are doing and what Jesus is rebuking them uh, for uh, and rebuking them against, that they need to, uh, to repent of that. Uh, and he, he also uh, draws attention to this, uh, this reversal that, that has happened between uh, Abraham, or between uh, the rich man and uh, Lazarus. Uh, and he, he continues his, his reason. Uh, not only this, but there, there's more. Uh, verse 26. And uh, in all of these things, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those wishing to cross over from here to you are not able, nor from there to us can they cross over. Uh, and so uh, we see here, uh, and really uh, in Greek, the, the focus is on uh, what has been fixed. Uh, a great chasm has been fixed. Uh, in English, uh, we might be doing it but, uh, to draw more attention to it by saying uh, a very great chasm. Uh, and so uh, this chasm uh, between them uh, is obviously something uh, that they are not uh, able to, to cross. Uh, and uh, Abraham says in his very next statement, so that those wishing to cross over from here to you are not able, nor from there to us can they cross over. Uh, and so uh, the, the consequences of, of serving wealth uh, is that uh, not only is uh, it, the rich man in such great uh, torment, uh, but that it's, it's permanent. There's, there's no change uh, of his circumstances. Uh, he lived his life, and now he's reaping uh, the reward. And the Pharisees better take care, uh, lest they also uh, reap uh, and deserve uh, unending torment for their rebellion against God's law. Uh, and this brings the, the second exchange. Uh, uh, his request to have his torment eased has been denied. 
uh, and now he'll ask for Lazarus to be sent to warn his his brothers. Uh, and this concerns uh, primarily the sufficiency of Scripture uh, to warn uh, sinners and to warn men uh, of judgment. And so in verse 29, uh, or uh, 27, uh, then he said, therefore, and by the way, the, the therefore is pointing back, he recognizes it's permanent. Uh, and so that's what this request arises out of. Therefore, I ask you, Father, that you would send him to the house of my father, for I have five brothers, so that he would testify to them in order that they too would not come to this place of torment. Uh, and the Pharisees here uh, are, uh, are pay paying attention uh, and seeing what's become of Abraham. Uh, and uh, what is it? What do they have to, have to listen to? What, what do they have to do um, to, to believe uh, that they had not come to this, this place? Uh, and Abraham again implicitly denies his request and gives the reason. Uh, verse 29. Now Abraham says, uh, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Uh, and now uh, this, now Abraham says, uh, in, in the previous verses, it has always been in the past tense. Uh, it has uh, been uh, that uh, uh, the, the rich man said, Abraham said, the rich man said, uh, and now uh, we could translate either, uh, now Abraham says or is saying. Uh, why did he break, why did Jesus break out of the past tense? Uh, well, this was a technique in Greek uh, to, to perk up the ears and say, uh, listen up, uh, this is an important point. Uh, we've come to the very central point uh, in this message. And so listen closely. Uh, and in fact, uh, just to uh, prove this, uh, Abraham is going to repeat this uh, point uh, in two verses. Uh, and so they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Uh, the reason that he's denying it, uh, they have the, the scriptures. Uh, if they have the scriptures, all they have to do is listen to them. They're, they're warned about breaking God's law. They're warned about the consequences. You don't need to send Lazarus, poor Lazarus. He's being comforted here. Uh, they have enough. Uh, but uh, Abraham really doesn't like this. This, this isn't acceptable uh, to or the rich man. I, I keep uh, swapping the, the rich man and Abraham. I apologize for that. But the... Uh, the rich man doesn't find this tolerable. Uh, verse 30, then he said, uh, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Think about that. Uh, the, the rich man does have a point. Uh, think if someone came to you that you knew had been dead, uh, and they, they've been dead as a doornail, I mean, truly, truly, really dead, uh, and they came back uh, and confronted you and said, uh, whoa, buddy, you're, you're going the wrong way. Uh, you're in trouble. You're, you're breaking God's law, and you gotta, you got to repent. you got to turn from your love of wealth uh, and serve God. Uh, otherwise, you're going to go to this terrible place of torment, and you're not going to, to participate in the blessings of Abraham. Uh, and th this would be just astonishing proof. I mean, uh, there aren't many things uh, just wow what compelling evidence but Abraham reinforces his point in verse 31 and says then he said to them if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets neither if someone should rise again from the dead will they be persuaded and so he just drives the point home uh, a second time. Uh, the, the scriptures are greater evidence uh, than someone rising from the dead. Uh, not only are they greater evidence, uh, not only are they sufficient, meaning that you don't need anything else, but if you will not listen to the scriptures when they call you 
uh, to, to repentance, uh, you, you Pharisees, then you will not be persuaded to repent by anything. Nothing else will do. Uh, and here, uh, Jesus, I believe, uh, is alluding to his own resurrection. Uh, right now, he's traveling to Jerusalem uh, to be crucified, uh, to die, to be buried, uh, and to rise again. Uh, and from there, uh, his disciples uh, will, uh, will see him. Uh, he'll be seen by many eyewitnesses and will be proclaimed. Uh, and even though the tomb was empty, uh, you'll find in the book of Acts, the Pharisees, by and large, most of the religious leaders did not believe anyways. Uh, Jesus himself could come to you and plead with you to repent. But if you will not listen to the word of God, then uh, they will not repent uh, and neither will we. And so uh, for the, the applications, uh, just want to make a few quick, quick points uh, because we're running out of time. But the, the first, first point is one that, well, the first we've really already covered. Uh, the first one is that uh, Luke is telling about the things that have been accomplished uh, among them uh, to uh, Theophilus, uh, to whom he, he dedicated his, uh, his book, and uh, to everyone who would read it. Uh, and so this really shows uh, what the, the Son of God did uh, in coming, in traveling to Jerusalem, uh, in seeing the, the hard hearts of the Pharisees, uh, that they eventually plotted uh, and executed uh, his death. Uh, and by and large, uh, they did not come uh, to believe. Uh, and so th this is one, one stone along the, the pathway. Uh, we shouldn't miss uh, just the, the straight historical fact uh, of this account uh, before uh, applying it to ourselves in, in any other way. Uh, and then uh, secondly, uh, the, the scriptures are sufficient to warn us uh, of damnation and to instruct us uh, in salvation. Uh, it's, it's not just the, the Pharisees who are so sinful that they will, uh, they will not uh, repent uh, in turn from their sin, uh, but uh, really it's, it's all of us. Uh, and uh, really all, all we have uh, is the word of God. Uh, and if we will not listen to that, that, that calls us to turn from our sins uh, and to trust in uh, the, the crucified uh, Messiah who, uh, who bore the sins of those who had trust in him, uh, who died and was buried and raised uh, for our uh, justification. Uh, if we will not listen uh, to, uh, to them, uh, then we will, we will never repent at all. And then lastly, I, I just want to uh, quickly uh, show you in Luke uh, 24, the very last chapter, just to show you Jesus and Luke's view uh, of the authority of Scripture. And if you think about it, Jesus' resurrection, uh, I would never be caught saying that's not good proof. I mean, that, that is the greatest miracle uh, that God has performed since the creation of the world. Uh, and it's the most significant one uh, in all of history, period. But listen to his high view uh, of scripture. Uh, and this is after he's been crucified, uh, after he's died and been buried uh, and raised. Uh, and uh, already they know that the, the tomb is empty uh, and he appears to, to two, two disciples uh, on the road to, to Emmaus. I guess we'll, we'll start from the beginning in verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, 
Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, uh, and when they did not find his body, they, they came back saying they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Uh, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as these women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Uh, and so you, you see, he, he even uh, rebukes them. Oh, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. If they had just believed the scriptures, they, they wouldn't have, have all this angst uh, about the, the empty tomb and confusion. Verse 28, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went and stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in breaking, in the breaking of the bread. And just list, listen a little longer. Uh, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Uh, and he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And it, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer uh, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of the Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And so, as you see, they, they, even when he is right in front of them, they cannot, uh, they cannot fully believe and accept these things uh, until he opens their minds and removes the veil to understand uh, by the word of God. Uh, otherwise, uh, unless God did that, were, did that for, for us, uh, we too would never truly understand uh, the, the meaning of the, the cross and the, uh, the, the wisdom and glory of the, uh, the crucified uh, Messiah. And so... Uh, finally, I suppose uh, just at the end, uh, we can take a little time to, uh, uh, to pray. So let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, uh, 
I thank you for this, for this word and for this parable from our Lord. Uh, and just to know the, uh, the, the wisdom and the power and the authority uh, of your word. Uh, and that uh, if it were not for you, uh, we would be in the, the same place uh, as these Pharisees. Uh, we would not repent from our sin. We would continue in our, our idolatry uh, and hatred of you and your law. Uh, but I thank you that uh, through your word, you call us to repentance uh, and that by your spirit, uh, you remove the, the veil from our blind eyes so that we can understand uh, the, the scriptures. Uh, and I also think of uh, how our Lord said to Thomas that uh, he believed because he saw, but blessed are those uh, who, who believe and do not see. And I pray that you would give us just a, a deep hunger for your word uh, and that as we continue to, to read and to study and grow in your word, that uh, we would grow in confidence of you and uh, also in our Lord. And I pray for this group that uh, you build all of us up and uh, build up the, the young people and just give them a, a confidence uh, in your word uh, and that uh, we grow together uh, as a group and uh, as a larger body at Gospel of Grace Fellowship so that uh, we would uh, love and serve you above all else and that we would uh, love and serve one another. And so we thank you and praise you and uh, ask these things in the name of your son. Uh, in his name we pray. Amen.